0: the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2015, on the basis of Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. I think when most people hear the phrase, war on Christmas, they think of a rather recent development. The seeming effort of modern secularists to sort of remove all things Christmas from the month of December. But you know, historians would say that the war on Christmas actually goes back much further than that, and that it was actually started by, of all people, Christians. That back in the 17th century, the Puritans, who came over to America to escape religious persecution in Europe, actually passed laws banning any and all celebrations of Christmas, because they wanted nothing to do with the indulgence and materialism that they had seen going on over in Europe. But, you know, I think you would agree with me after hearing those three sections of Luke chapter 2 that neither one of those theories is correct. I think you'd agree that the war on Christmas actually started at the first Christmas and actually was started by God. Okay, maybe when you heard those beautiful and familiar words, war wasn't the first thing that popped into your head. And without a doubt, this isn't the type of war with all kinds of action scenes, the kind of war that millions of people flock to see that grosses $500 million in movie theaters just on its first weekend, the kind of war that takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This isn't that kind of war. This war actually took place in a very real time. Back in the days when a man named Caesar Augustus ruled the world and when he issued a census so that he could count just how many people he ruled. This war took place in a very real location, a city up in Nazareth, a city up in Galilee called Nazareth, and down in Judea called Bethlehem. And even though this war doesn't really meet our expectations of war in any way whatsoever, tonight we're going to see that it's a war nonetheless. Again, you hear those words and And maybe that's not the first thing that comes to mind. But here's why it matters so much. You see, in this sort of annual ritual that we now have in our country, where all kinds of people get all worked up about this perceived war on Christmas, I think this year in particular, we learned two very important lessons. First of all, people are willing to put up with all kinds of things. They're willing to put up with the holiday trees and the happy holiday greetings, and they're even willing to go to Little Susie's big production at school, even though it's called a winter concert instead of a Christmas program. They'll put up with all of that, but mess with their favorite cup of coffee and that's it. (laughs) That's the end, right? That's where they draw the line. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is much more important. I don't know about you, but this year maybe more than ever... I started to sense as though the war on Christmas wasn't really about Christmas at all. That what people were really fighting over was you. That this is a war being fought over you and it's being fought for what you are carrying with you in your pocket. In other words, in this war on Christmas, you and I don't need to worry about whether we are the aggressors and the instigators or, or sort of the passive and helpless victims. It seems to me more and more that in this war on Christmas, you and I are nothing more than the pawns. Let me give you a quick example. So every year there's this group called the American Family Association, and they post what they call their naughty and nice list, a list of companies classified based on how Christmassy or not Christmassy, their commercials and ads are during December. The idea is that you buy from the nice companies and you boycott the naughty companies. Guess who was at the very top of the naughty list this year? Not me. Not you. (laughs) (gasps) Amazon.com. Did you buy anything from Amazon.com this year? Shame on you. Guess who was on top of the nice list? Right at the very top. Wouldn't you know, the American Family Association's own online retail store. Huh. <laughs> and if that's not bad enough, it's very interesting that some of the movies and books and products that they sell in their online retail store, you can also get, only with free two-day shipping, over at Amazon.com. <laughs> Feel like a pawn yet? Here's why that's a problem. You see, one of our other Christmas rituals every year is that we start to pepper our language during the month of December with words like peace and hope and joy. And we convince ourselves during this month of December that we are supposed to be finding and feeling things like peace and joy and hope. But what if you can't? What if you can't find peace Because every time you look in that mirror, you see a man who hasn't been the husband and the father that God wants you to be. What if you can't find joy? Because this year at Christmas dinner, that one seat that last year was occupied by a loved one is now empty. What if you're having a hard time finding hope? Because as you think back at the past year, it seems as though everything in your life, from your job to your finances to your health, got worse rather than getting better. If any of those things is true of you, then friends, what you need tonight, what you need on Christmas, is so much more than to be someone else's pawn. You need someone who's willing to go to any length for you. You need someone who is willing to move heaven and earth. For you. you need someone who is willing to start a worldwide war. Not against you, not even over you, but for you. Do you think the teeny tiny baby in Bethlehem is up to the task? Again, we read this story from Luke and war might not be the first thing that comes to our minds. But just so we don't miss what's going on in these verses, I wanted to focus all of our attention tonight on the words and on the actions of the soldiers in the story. You didn't miss the soldiers, did you? That's exactly how the Bible so often, including here, describes God's angels. The company of angels makes up God's mighty fighting army. And their involvement in this story starts when one of them steps out and makes an announcement to that group of shepherds. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Again, you might think that sounds more like a birth announcement than a war announcement. But understand how wars often went back in the ancient world. It wasn't always an army marching across a field in battle formation against another standing army. Very often, wars were decided through what was known as single combat warfare, where each side chose one man, their champion, to go out in the middle and fight for them. And what happened in that battle between the two of them decided the outcome for both sides. That's how David ended up matched up against Goliath. That's why even as late as World War I, British fighter pilots were often sent up into the skies in one-on-one aerial dogfights against the German fighter pilots. Single combat warfare. From the very beginning, God made it clear this is how he was going to wage war against evil. You heard that promise at the beginning of tonight's service, how right in the wake of the fall into sin, God declared war on the devil. He said, I am going to put enmity hostility, war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. From that point forward, mankind would be divided into two camps. But they wouldn't need to fight against each other. Just two would do the fighting. God said he, one offspring of the woman, he would crush the devil's head while the devil would strike his heel." Single combat warfare. So when that soldier, that angel, appears to those shepherds and says, today a Savior is born, really all he's saying is that the war that God had declared so long ago, that war was now fully and finally on. That the child delivered by the human race was born to deliver it. Friends, during this Christmas season, so many people, from retail stores to coffee shops to politicians to maybe even some of your own friends and family, will treat you as nothing more than pawns. As people whose value can only be measured by the benefit that you bring to them, but not your God. And that's shocking when you consider the fact that by nature, our posture toward our God, our attitude toward our God is sort of like fists up, ready for a fight. We look at the laws, the demands, the expectations he's made of us and and we rebel so often in so many ways. Sometimes we rebel by saying, God, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to live this way instead. Sometimes we, re, sometimes we rebel against God by saying, fine, I'll do exactly what you want me to do, but you better pay me back. You better treat me nicely in return. Both of them are ways of declaring war against God, And God responds at Christmas, not by declaring war back, not even by declaring war against evil for his own benefit, but by declaring a war against evil for us, by opening up the heavens and trotting out for single combat warfare his own dear son, by starting a war where the only ones who stand to benefit are you and I a war where you are anything but the pawn. In the war that God started on Christmas, you are the prize. So that's good news, right? That's what the angels called it, good tidings of great joy. Imagine for a moment if one of those shepherds who heard that good news sprinted off, booked it for Bethlehem to try and find this mighty warrior. What do you think that shepherd would have been looking for? People who grew up in my generation probably would have been looking for a warrior that sort of looked like Rambo, right? Machine gun on each hip, string of bullets slung over each shoulder, that headband cinched up real tight, ready to fight, right? People growing up in today's generation might look for one of the Avengers, like Iron Man or the Hulk or maybe even a Jedi warrior with a lightsaber in hand. I'm sure those shepherds had some sort of expectation for what God's mighty warrior might have looked like, and I'm sure it was nothing like what the angel said next. He said, here's what you look for when you go to Bethlehem. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. So not a mighty warrior, just a tiny helpless baby. Not ammo and arms, swaddling clothes. Not a tank or a submarine, just a feeding trough. And the greatest irony of all, perhaps, is that the angels, the soldiers, his soldiers had to make the announcement. Imagine our commander-in-chief telling his secret service, I want you to take my infant son, take him over to the Middle East, drop him right in the middle of an ISIS stronghold, and then just stand down. Just back off, just leave him alone. I want to see how he does. Sounds like a terrible idea, doesn't it? If not for the fact that as we read the Christmas story tonight, we also do so in the context of the rest of the story. We do so knowing that the pattern that was set at Christmas is a pattern that continued throughout Jesus' life. God's Son went off onto our battlefield unaccompanied, unarmed, unprotected. In fact, he was certainly right when, as he fell into the hands of his enemies, he said, you know what, if I wanted to fight, I could call down the entire army of God's angels. But, of course, he didn't. In fact, as he hung there on the cross, his own father turned his back on him. God's son was delivered over into the hands of evil because that was the only way that he could deliver us from evil. And, friends, that's exactly the reason why these same soldiers, members of God's army, the same ones who announced this game plan to the shepherds in the dead of night at Christmas, they also got to announce the outcome of the battle in the dawn's early light on Easter morning. They stood there outside that tomb not to guard a dead body, but to announce to the women and to announce to the world that the victory had been won, he is not here, he is risen. It's exactly why that same night our Savior Jesus said exactly What the angel said to the shepherds that now on earth there was peace. That the war between God and mankind was over once and for all. And, friends, most importantly, that's why words like peace and hope and joy are not just Christmas cliches for us, they're not just silly pipe dreams of things that we think we ought to find and feel during Christmas. No, these things are done, accomplished realities, and these things are the gifts that God puts under the tree for you. Because God started this war on Christmas, you can have peace, knowing that the entire record of your rebellion against God has been removed from his mind forever. Because of the war that God started on Christmas, you can have hope knowing that right next to the place where Jesus sits now, no longer a manger, now a throne, right next to that throne sits an empty throne with your name already written on it. You can have unrivaled joy this Christmas because you know that even when it seems like evil is winning, God can and will use all things for your good. In fact, it completely changes the way that we need to view this whole war on Christmas. Have you ever wondered how, how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do as a Christian? Am I supposed to be sort of an aggressor and an instigator, maybe a little bit like Russia seems to be fond of doing these days? Am I sort of supposed to sit back and be a helpless victim, maybe like Ukraine sort of feels like from time to time? Or should I just be Switzerland? Should I just stay out of it and stay neutral? Well, let's think about it. Do we ever need to instigate a war on Christmas? God already started that war. And because he did, Christmas is sort of a big boy. It can stand on its own two feet. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't need us. If it seems as though we're ever being attacked on Christmas, do we need to fight back? Friends, God already demonstrated that he can do more against the battle, more in the battle against evil, lying on his back in a bed of straw, lying on his back against a cross of wood, than if all the angel armies pulled out their swords. If it seems as though evil has the upper hand, do we we think we should surrender in the war on Christmas? Friends, the victory's already been won. The same one who started the war brought it to an end when he rose from the dead. In fact, when it comes to this war on Christmas, you and I can simply embrace it. Embrace it in our hearts, embrace it in our homes, embrace it with our families, embrace it by making it the one most important thing about our time off from work and our time with our family. Embrace it by sharing it with our spouses, sharing it with our sons and our daughters, sharing it with anyone that we can. This is the war God started at Christmas, the war in which you are the prize and through which you have peace with God. So when it comes to this war on Christmas, we can simply say with God's angel armies, glory to God in the highest. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.